Hello and welcome to the Weekend Wrap for the week on Wednesday. I am Ben Davison and it is Sunday the 29th of May 2022 and it is the end of the first week of the Albanese Labor government and what a huge first week it has been. Of course there are currently only five Commonwealth ministers in Australia which is significantly less than is normal and that's because Labor has taken the reins of power. It will be having meetings early next week to determine who the ministers will be, and they will be sworn in on Wednesday. But despite only having five ministers, the Albanese Labor government has absolutely hit the ground running, delivering on some of its core promises. Of course, Albo and Penny Wong flew out to the Quad meeting in Japan, and had an incredible, incredible series of meetings with the USA, with Japan, with, in, with India, and of course the next Quad meeting will be held in Australia. That's right, the Albanese Labor government is already re-establishing Australia's place on the world stage as a serious, serious middle power. That is, we are not nuclear armed, we are not the size of China or the USA, but we have a specific role to play, facilitating, working with, building cooperation, building relationships. And nothing, nothing sends that message more clearly than Penny Wong immediately getting off the plane from Japan and getting on a plane to go to Fiji and meeting with the Prime Minister of Fiji, talking about climate change, talking about respecting the sovereignty of our Pacific neighbours. People who regularly listen to The Week on Wednesday and The Weekend Wrap may remember that our Pacific neighbours had objected very strongly, very strongly to the rhetoric of Morrison and Dutton describing the Pacific as our backyard. Because culturally, in places like Fiji, in other parts of the Pacific, the backyard is where you burn rubbish. That's right. The former Prime Minister and the wannabe Prime Minister from the Liberal Party were describing our neighbours, our friends, many of whom Australians have actual family living in the Pacific, were describing it as a place where we would burn our rubbish. Now, Penny Wong has had an incredibly productive meeting with the Prime Minister of Fiji, Frank Batimarama, and they have obviously started to rebuild some of the damaged bridges that Morrison helped burn. But of course, that's not all the the five ministers of Labor have been doing. Jim Chalmers, Katie Gallagher have been going through the accounts, meeting with the heads of the major financial regulators, meeting with the Reserve Bank of Australia getting a full and proper understanding of the financial and economic damage that was done over the last decade. Katie Gallagher talked a little bit about this on Insiders Today, saying that there is a decade's worth of damage to be undone. And while stopping the rorts and stopping the waste will be important, there is a lot, a lot that Labor must uncover and fully understand before we're in a position to talk about what needs to be done next. David Spears, of course, on Insiders, wanted all of the answers immediately. But we must remember it has been eight days since the election. The results are not yet even formally uh, formally lodged from the AEC. So it is important that we remember that it will take 
time to undo a decade worth of damage. But some things have happened immediately. The Murugapian family have been allowed to return home to Biloela. The Home to Bilo campaign has been running for years. I remember standing outside the federal court when the campaign was applying for an injunction to stop the plane, literally turn the plane around that was flying that family to Sri Lanka. Those children were born in central Queensland. They are from central Queensland. That is a central Queensland family who had jobs, who have friends, who have community that want them back. Peter Dutton has described the decision as a marketing ad for people smugglers, that people smugglers will use this in their marketing material. Peter Dutton seems to think that people smugglers who patch together leaky fishing boats off the coast of various islands around the Indian Ocean and parts of the Pacific somehow or another are running sophisticated uh, TV ads as though Ogilvy is making them a brand campaign. Well, Peter Dutton's fear and division aside, the family from Biloela will return to Biloela. And believe it or not, come the end of the first week of the Labor government, there have been no great wave or tsunami of people smuggling activity. Goes to show that maybe, just maybe, Peter Dutton was more interested in the political division than he was in actually protecting our borders. But the good news doesn't end there. End of the first week, Labor has already written to the Fair Work Commission asking for permission to put in a late submission to the Fair to the minimum wage case. And Albanese has made it very clear no workers' wages should be cut. This is a huge step change from the Morrison position, which, if you remember rightly, had budgeted for declining wages after 18 months of already declining wages as opposed to the Morrison-Dutton approach of cutting workers' wages, we now have the Albanese, Albanese Chalmers approach of lifting workers' wages. This will be good for millions of Australians, millions of Australians who desperately need a pay rise. And of course, this week, we also had Sorry Day. Now, as opposed to previous years where Sorry Day has been couched in somewhat reserved terms. Uh, some people might remember Scott Morrison describing saying sorry is difficult, but forgiveness is just as important in what was possibly the most tone-deaf attempt to blame the victims of a mass genocide that I can recall an Australian Prime Minister ever making. Anthony Albanese, on the other hand, gave an interview to the West Australian, which ran its edition in a translated Noongar English uh, edition. This is an incredibly powerful statement. It wasn't so long ago that in this country, our First Nations people were banned from speaking their language, that it was illegal in some places for them to speak their language. So this was a huge 
symbolic step in the right direction. And of course, Albo has committed to the Uluru Statement from the heart and enshrining the voice to parliament in our laws and constitution. That's just week one. (laughs) Just week one. And of course, the rest of the cabinet will be sworn in on Wednesday after the Labor caucus meets on Tuesday. All of the politicians will be going back to Canberra. Possibly, while you listen to this, they will be flying through the air uh, on their way to Canberra to sort out the various party positions. It's important, I think, for us to recognise that on Insiders Today, talking about party positions, talking about ministries, Phil Curry of the AFR, the AFR, which, by the way, told people to vote for Scott Morrison. Phil Curry, of course, who described... Gladys Berejiklian as the woman who saved Australia. Phil Curry, who has consistently been an apologist for the Morrison-Dutton liberal agenda, said that the main spots, finance, defence, etc., are sorted, and the rest are sort of second tier. He described the majority of the cabinet, the majority of the business of government, as second tier. Now, Phil Curry from the AFR was on Insider's There was a representative from the Daily Telegraph and Nikki Sava was on as well. Nikki Sava, of course, is a former advisor to John Howard and Peter Costello. It was a panel stacked to the gills with anti-Labor, anti-Elbow sentiment. Now, Sava, who I actually have some respect for, was the best of the lot. But Curry suggesting that health, education, Schools, universities, TAFE, the NDIS, early childhood education, aged care, rights for women, climate change, the environment, a national ICAC, the Indigenous ministry that will set up the voice to parliament. Describing these things as second tier and somehow not a priority fails to grasp the magnitude of what last Saturday was saying that these are not second-tier issues for Australians, that these issues, the ability to manufacture things in Australia, have jobs in Australia, are first-tier issues. So to suggest that somehow or other only finance and defence and the Treasury are what's important dismisses the vast majority of what Australians want government to do. And that is health, education, jobs, NDIS, early childhood, aged care, rights for women, climate change, the things that Labor campaigned on, the things that the Teals campaigned on, yes, even some of the things that the Greens campaigned on, the things that in the overwhelming majority of seats, Australians chose chose to prefer over the re-election of a Morrison government whose only focus, whose only message was strong economy, strong leadership. Speaking of leadership and strength, let's talk about the opposite, because Peter Dutton's glass jaw has come on full display this week. I've already described how Peter Dutton seems to think allowing two children who were born in central Queensland to return to central Queensland with their parents is somehow or another a marketing campaign for people smugglers. But that's not the only pathetic thing that Peter Dutton has done this week. He has had quite the whinge about being described as being a bit like Voldemort. 
I've not read the Harry Potter books. I must be the only person on the face of the planet who's not seen any of the Harry Potter movies. But I can tell you this. Voldemort is the villain in Harry Potter. Now, regardless of how Peter Dutton looks, regardless of whether there is a physical comparison or not, Peter Dutton is a villain. He is a villain. This is a man who sued over a mean tweet. He's now complaining that he's being compared to a fictional villain. The man who had Border Force search Australians in the streets for their identity papers, who made up just absolute nonsense about Melburnians being afraid to go to restaurants because of African gangs. A man who called Lebanese migration to Australia one of the most successful multicultural communities in this country, he described as a mistake. I've already told you, he referred to the Hondabilo campaign as a marketing campaign for people smugglers. He went on Twitter and described everyone as dirty lefties. He handed out billions in defence contracts to Liberal donors, including to companies that were the wrong company that had no staff and no assets. He's also made a social media commercial with a company which has been exposed by Friendly Geordies and Michael West as having serious questions to answer about its business ethics and about the owners and their behaviour. Peter Dutton is a glass-jaw wannabe. We've already seen the Murdoch press and even some articles in the SMH and the Age suggest that Peter Dutton's experience as a Queensland copper should be taken into account and he knows what he's talking about. Peter Dutton doesn't know anything about anything. The man has spent his entire time in Parliament creating division, dividing, a con- dividing our country, trying to victimise communities And frankly, he walked out. He walked out on the apology to the stolen generation. Oh, he says he now regrets it. You know, I don't really care what he now regrets because his behaviours have to be judged in the context of the times in which they occurred. That's constantly what conservatives are saying to us. Oh, we shouldn't pull down statues because people's people's actions should be judged in the context of the time in which they occurred. Well, Peter Dutton's actions in the context of the times in which they have occurred, paint him very clearly as a villain at the time. At the time, he was a villain. He got up and he walked out of the apology to the stolen generation. He has attacked Australians on social media platforms. He has attacked Australians through the mainstream media. He has handed out our money to companies that have no basis for receiving cash other than being liberal donors. He is a villain. And now he will be crowned leader of the Liberal Party. His coalition partner, Barnaby Joyce, doesn't look as though he will have such an easy coronation. While Peter Dutton's foibles weaknesses, ultra-conservative, hate-filled rhetoric and actions are being happily overlooked by members of the Liberal Party in order to crown Peter Dutton as their leader, Barnaby Joyce's own indiscretions and failings have finally, finally triggered action amongst the members of the National Party. 
with both Darren Chester and David Littleproud announcing that they will stand against him. Now, of course, there's lots of discussion about what went wrong in the election for the Liberal Party, what went wrong for the Nationals, how the coalition did or didn't help each other win or lose votes. And there's no question that the anti-Labor parties are fracturing. And Van and I discussed this last week, that Australia is essentially the nation of Menzies and Hawke. The Liberal Party exists, exists to make the argument that only it can protect Australians from external existential threats, whether that's communism, whether that's massive economic change. What Hawke did was demonstrate that Labor can manage the internal elements of the economy in the context of changing external environments. And what Albanese tapped into was that hawk mentality. Morrison completely ignored, completely ignored the Menzian framework. And as a result, the Grand Coalition that creates a conservative Liberal Party, two words which do not go together in any other place around the world except for Australia, has resulted in total fracturing. The Teals, the Greens, the Independents, these small-L Liberals, people who believe in freedom of association, freedom of speech, people who believe in markets, who want to see free market economic ideologies, for the most part, who don't seek to divide internal communities, but who also who also have taken up the issue of the external threat, climate change. Climate change is absolutely the external threat. Labor has made comments about climate change. It has good policy around how to deal with climate change. But the reality is that there are many people, smaller liberal people, who do not see the Labor Party as the party to provide the solution to those external threats. What Morrison did was drive those people into the arms of the Teals and the Independents and, to a certain degree, in some places, to Labor. And what the first week of the Albanese Labor government has demonstrated is that Labor is capable of dealing with external challenges. The Quad meeting, Fiji, these are just the beginning of how we deal with some of these issues. It is going to be very interesting come tomorrow, that's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, as the actual makeup of our government and the opposition starts to solidify. We will have new ministers. We will have new party leaders. We will have new opposition spokespeople. The question is whether the last decade continues in the Liberal Party and the National Party, and that fracturing, that loss of the Menzian Centre continues, or whether they do find a purpose beyond just not being Labor. Because if they can't, then Peter Dutton may well be the first of many, many opposition leaders from the Liberal Party of Australia. 
I want to finish today's episode by giving a huge shout out to the Catholic school teachers, the academics at the University of Sydney, the aged care workers in Queensland, South Australia and Western Australia, and paramedics in New South Wales, all of whom have either taken or are taking industrial action over the last few days and weeks. It's never easy to decide to take industrial action. But of course, we know that workers standing together is one of the few ways in which we can genuinely lift wages and improve job security in this country. I want to give a shout out as well to the SDA in New South Wales who managed to settle a case with Amazon that they brought on behalf of a worker who was treated unfairly, an adverse action case they're called, when she became pregnant during the recruitment process after she'd been offered a job and they essentially withdrew the offer. That case has been settled, but it's a clear example, clear example of the kinds of things multinational corporations will do if they're allowed to get away with it and why we need strong unions like the SDA, like the Independent Education Union, like the NTU, like the United Workers Union, like the Health Services Union, like the Australian Nursing and Midwifery Federation. These unions are standing up in all the sectors I mentioned. And of course, there are many, many other unions. There is a union for you. You are able to join and be part of a community. Go to australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W, to join your union. And very lastly, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who has downloaded and listened to The Week on Wednesday over the month of May. A record month in the month of May. There's still a few days to go, but already we've smashed all previous download records for The Week on Wednesday. And the support you have shown to Van and I over the last month, but the last many months has been incredibly humbling. And if you want to support our podcast, help us do the projects that we do, the election night broadcast, those sorts of projects, go to www.buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday. All of the money goes into this show. It goes into advertising for this show. Even during the election, we were able to keep growing the audience, keep getting more people listening. So remember, like, share, comment, leave a review on Apple. If you can, it helps us grow the audience. And really, the success of the week on Wednesday is totally down to you and you talking about it, sharing it. We love hearing those stories. Let us know if you've joined your union, if you've listened to the episode with friends or family or workmates. We love hearing those stories. And until Van and I are able to be with you next Wednesday, when we will have a whole new Labor government and a full cabinet to discuss and break down, until then, be kind to yourself and to each other.